Hey, it's the Body Bishops. Well, Matt, we are... None of us won the gingerbread competition last night. I, I knew I wasn't going to win the gingerbread competition. <laughs> I'm, uh, it's, it's not my gig. Yeah. It's not my jam, you know? You had uh, Amanda on your, with you as your teammate? Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's always a challenge, I think, having Amanda as my, as my teammate. And she's bad at it? Or? Well, I know because she's, she's, uh, she's competitive. Yeah, she likes she likes to win. So, um, it, it was all banter and stuff, but it was funny last night. But uh, you know, she's like, "You can help me, you can help me." And then you know, we sat down and she's doing one side of the roof, and she's like, "You do the other side." I was like, "I really don't know what I'm doing. It'll be fine. It'll be fine." And so at one point, she looked over at my side, and she's like, "Yeah, you don't know what you're doing." <laughs> so we scrapped that and started over. Scrapped the whole thing off, and yeah, no, Victoria Victoria was very good last night, but mm-hmm. I, I did get some looks. Because I wasn't doing it right, so she said, at one point she said, "You've stopped trying, haven't you?" <laughs> I was like, "Okay," uh, but anyway, we we didn't win, but we, we had a good fun. with lots it was, of people. It was good to see people enjoying. Yeah, that kind of competition, just fun and banter. And yeah, Jim was on top form as the yeah. judge, and mm-hmm. I think Bri did her prize was brilliant. It but, was, yeah. I'm surprised I didn't win actually. Yeah, yeah. Second, well, third place for Bri. So wow. surprised that you guys finished over him. You know, we didn't. We all no, we were we like he was second. Uh, uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, she came him. Well, of course, I was a, a, a mercy vote that way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, for Hebrews, um, mm. yeah. So, um, Hebrews part two. Yeah. Today for gospel community notes, we're called not to compete with one another. Mm. In gospel community. There you go. Unless we're competing to out love one another. That's right. Do one another. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Nothing. To, well, not mentioned in Hebrews. The, the principles there, you're quite right. Yeah. So Hebrews part two is today, um, again, as we continue on looking at this this letter to the Hebrews um, and the gospel truths that have been all throughout this epistle and then how do you live like it's true has been coming out a lot to you. Um, so we saw Hebrews three, we should exhort one another daily. Hebrews six, love one another in the name of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Hebrews 10, we should gather together and encourage one another to Love and good works. Mm-hmm. And today, what do we got today? Um, well, today is part two of Hebrews. And in chapter 12, um, we, we, we start where we always start, um, which which I think is, is paramount. Mm-hmm. We, we start with the gospel truth stuff and we yeah. go through the whole progression of it, but we have to start with gospel truth or all the other stuff doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And we have no reason to do any of the things that are commanded. Yeah. Yeah. And the, our motivational will win, won't it? Yeah. So yeah, we got to keep reminding ourselves what's true. Yeah. So what 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 are some gospel truths then for us? Well, kind of looking through chapter twelve, there's this beautiful parallel. Um, or, or or I mean, of course, it is beautiful. Parts of it are a bit alarming, you know, of course. But um, chapter twelve, verses eighteen to twenty four, there's this parallel with with Moses and the children of Israel on Mount Zion, and all of that. And essentially, just to sum it up, in verses eighteen to twenty one, um, he's creating this this uh, simultaneously a parallel but a contrast mm. between Sinai and Mount Zion. Mm. So basically verses 18 and 21, uh, we're not called to a place like Mount uh, Sinai, mm-hmm. a place of fear, a place of terror, a place of trembling. Rather, in verses 22 to 24, 
we are called to Mount Zion, a place that's our home, a place where we should we should feel at home in yep. Mount Zion, the place where God dwells, where he invites us to come. Mm-hmm. He tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace and all of that, you know. So um, we're, we're always welcome because we're all redeemed um, by God. And so we belong to the place that God has prepared for the redeemed, where Jesus's blood speaks forgiveness and mercy and not judgment and wrath. Yeah. So the end of verse 24 says that we come to the, the Mount Zion where the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of evil. So what did, what did evil's what does that mean? What did Abel's blood speak? Well, it cried out for justice, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then Christ's blood spilled, mm-hmm. cries out for mercy. Yeah, so yeah. better better blood. Yeah. Beautiful, Beautiful man. Uh, and then we get to verse 28, which just talks about, we since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, mm-hmm. so we are heirs and citizens of a kingdom which will <laughs> not be destroyed or shaken. Um, yeah, Mount Zion, city of God, we're we are citizens of this. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to see Jesus one day. So, I mean, this is simple truth. Simple in the sense we're we're doing it quickly, um, but the, continue and just remind yourself of these. This is what's true of me. This is who I am because of the blood of Jesus, because of Christ's death, because of who God is. And I was writing to my um, biblical council and you get a little small group I'm in, mm-hmm. and we were t- talking about our assignment and stuff. And I just wrote like, I know all this assignments. Like it's lots of writing, lots of information. Um, but we're able to write truth into it all because Jesus, came, yeah, you know, like yeah. we can all the things we're writing about right now is only true because Christ came. No, that's beautiful. That's yeah. wonderful. You know? It is, yeah. So. And it, the, the funny thing is, um, I say funny, like not humorous. <laughs> the interesting thing is, um, from the, from the moment that Jesus kind of um, arrived on the scene in his earthly ministry, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, Sermon on the Mount was his first like major left hook, wasn't it? And mm. it's, and and in retrospect, it's like, you know massive but essentially in the sermon on the mount jesus is teaching especially in the beatitudes he's teaching citizens of the heavenly kingdom how to live on earth yeah yeah and so all of that is leading up to the cross and then the cross enables us to live like he taught oh, us to yeah, live because now we have the power to do it yeah. Yeah. yeah so so now when we come into these epistles it's like um yeah, it's still the same thing citizens of the heavenly kingdom yeah. learning how to live on earth empowered by the holy spirit to do yeah that. It's like sometimes it feels like when you're reading the epistles, the the command section of the epistles, the practical side of like how do you live like it's true, it's like reading the commentary of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's it's if like Paul's sifting through the Sermon on the Mount and he's like still inspired by the Spirit and saying, yeah, that stuff Jesus taught, yeah, like that, yeah, yeah. in this specific context, yeah. So yeah, it's beautiful. Well, but anyway, we're gonna we're gonna look at um, how do we live like verse twenty two to twenty four is true that we're in Mount Zion, and verse twenty eight is true that we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So the author says, continues on in verse 28, therefore, since we've received these things, right? It says, mm-hmm. let us have grace by which we, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the difference between um, like, like this idea of fear, because it talks about we're not going to this place Sinai where it's full of trembling and terrifying and fear, and yet we're called to serve God with godly fear and reverence. So, what would you, what like do you want to speak into that difference of like what is this? What's godly fear versus the fear above? <clears throat> yeah. So, so there's two different types of fear. Uh, there's the fear of wrath and punishment, judgment, a fear that draws away from uh, the the object fear. It leads to a begrudging 
obedience. So yeah. you you serve out of a heart of obligation. Yeah. And then there's there's the other type of fear, which is affectionate love, respect, and awe. Um, it's the type of fear that draws toward object fear. Uh, it's it leads to a loving, devoted, glad obedience. So not out of um, obligation, but out of uh, love. Yeah. And out of care. Give in. So that that first fear, theologians call it servile fear. So I serve. I'm my fear is my. It's a serving fear, but begrudging and. It's a fear of punishment and consequences of not doing what I'm supposed to do. And then theologians call the other fear filial fear, like that fatherly fear, like that love and devotion. Mm-hmm. That's sort of uh, overwhelming um, and a bit like Aslan, isn't it, in, in Narnia? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, um, they're, they're learning about um, Aslan. Um, I, think, I think they're with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Mm. <laughs> and uh, they, they finally learn that Aslan is a lion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Lucy speaks up and says... Um, is is he safe? Mm. And of course they say no, he's not safe, but he's good. He's good. Yeah, yeah. And and each time they come near Aslan, there's this sort of like he's he's terrible and fearful, mm. but they're drawn towards yeah. him and not away from him. And that's this idea of of fear. I think C.S. Lewis does a really good job at that. Like, I think so. Yeah. Not wonderment, but it draws yeah. you towards the person. Yeah, he's um, always accessible, but he's also always very like majestic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's overwhelming and this yeah. this magnificence. So. So what is it? So then, so yeah, chapter 12, verse 28, serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear because God is consuming fire. And then we're left asking the question, well, what does that look like to serve God mm-hmm. with this type of fear? And well, the author doesn't leave us to imagination because there's no chapters in the original. So mm-hmm. that's when we get over to chapter 13. Yeah. So again, after saying all of that, the, the, the question is, how do we um, accomplish this? Like, like, what does it look like to serve God acceptably with this joy, um, affectionate and glad fear? And gratefully, the answer is found in Hebrews 13. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we see gospel community defined by, uh, number one, how we treat one another. So just before, isn't that interesting? Like, how do I serve God with godly fear and reverence? And the answer is how you treat one another. Mm. So there you go. It's the same thing all over again. Yeah. And then, so he says in, in chapter 13, verse one, let brotherly love continue. So when you see the word brotherly love, of course, we're, we're dealing with familial affection. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not just talking about love um, in general and kind of abstract. We're, we're dealing with a specific type of love. And that is the, the type of way that a family is supposed to love one another. Mm-hmm. Now, now, let me just say, I've said before, the way families love one another but I understand that oftentimes families don't yeah. love one another the way that they're in the fallen world. Yeah. 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 But the way that God intended for families. to love. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that, I love the, the idea of affection, that brotherly affection, mm-hmm. familial affection. And Paul said that a few times in Romans 12, 10, that, that one, that love one another with brotherly affection. In first Thessalonians four, he talks about how he, he knows they're already doing it. Mm-hmm. But then he goes on at the end in verse 10, we urge you brothers to do this more and more yeah. so to yeah. continue to grow in this, familial affection for one another. You know what, though? Just to put into context what you just said, the passage you alluded to in 1 Thessalonians 4, they'd done an extravagant thing in that passage. Like, the, they they had shown love in a very extravagant way in yeah. giving to the Macedonians. Um, and so you would think, all right, we'll tick the box. But he's like, no, I want you to do it more and more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More of that type of love. Yeah. So let it continue and grow is the idea, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, again, the way we live, right, reverent, joyful, affectionate fear of God is through showing ongoing and growing 
affection for one another. It's so beautiful to consider like, what does it look like to fear God? Yeah. And the answer is affection for your <laughs> brothers and sisters. Um, so, and the next, the next verses after that, we kind of believe they're practical steps of what verse one looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So go, go for a minute. Yeah. So, uh, so, so chapter 13, verse two, just leading, leading from that previous verse, it says, do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. What, what, what do you, what do you think he's calling us to do here? Cause, cause there's, there's, there's two phrases with the word entertain. There's entertain strangers, entertain angels. Yeah. There's this yeah. weird kind of concept. Yeah. So yeah, and people were asking that when we were doing this, is it is it always about strangers? But the 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 Greeks just lover of guests. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a stranger. The idea is that they're not part of your family. Yeah. And they're not in your house. Yeah. You're not, it's not like you're not expecting them to be in your home at like eleven o'clock at night in bed because they're not part of so they're a stranger in that sense. And so they're a lover of guests. Yeah. And this is all about showing hospitality then, open hearts that lead to open hands and open homes for one another in the local church. But then as we I- extend that to the strangers even further then as well. Yeah, so. and and I think probably the overall context of what's being said here is in the context of fellow believers. So mm-hmm. be, whilst this does apply to people out in our communities who are unregenerate, I think the, the principle by and large is saying, um, believers that don't belong to your particular local uh, assembly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're, you, we got to start. You know, it starts at home. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So it starts with the local church, mm-hmm. and then we extend ourselves outwardly. So hospitality, having having an open home to your brothers and sisters in your church, is a way to fear God. Mm-hmm. Is a way to show God that reverence and godly fear. Yeah. Um, and it says here we. It's basically saying this idea of an angel. We're treating them as if they're an actual angel of God. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. treating them as if Jesus turned up at your door because. In Galatians 4, Paul talks about how when he came to see the Galatians, they received him as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Wow. So that's pretty powerful stuff. That's that's different, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. a different type of, of love, yeah. a different level of love. Yeah. Uh, so um, some homework for the Baldy Bishop podcast listeners. Read chapter 7 of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and uh, read about how the beavers welcome the children. You know, that, that hospitality, that generosity, that you know, the warmth and the comfort you're offering there. Um, and then go go away and read chapter seven of the Fellowship of the Ring mm-hmm. and how Tom Bombadil and Goldberry welcome the hobbits. And really that it's just that generosity and that, you know, it's not, it's, Victoria always talks about the difference between hosting and hospitality. You're not putting on a show. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about impressing people. It's just welcome into your, into your home and life and looking after yeah, yeah. the way, the way Christ has done for us. Yeah. So, Another good parallel is uh, Genesis 18, verses 1 to 8, and how uh, Abraham received uh, these strangers into his home and served them, and they ended up being two angels, and, and one of them possibly Jesus pre-incarnate. Yeah, and he, he says, like, let me give you bread and water, and yeah. then he gives them, like, milk and meat, you know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's going above and beyond, yeah. it's, and it's, it's not coming begrudgingly, it's coming from a heart that fears and loves God, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So we hospitality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ch- chapter thirteen, verse three. Uh, remember the prisoners, as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Yeah. yeah. So we're being called to to remember prisoners and the persecuted as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in twenty first century Stoke on Trent, we don't have brothers in Christ who are in prison for their faith and being persecuted. So how do you think this, I mean, obviously we can pray for the persecuted church, no yeah, doubt. Of course. That's yeah. definitely a principle here. Mm-hmm. But how do you think this looks for us at Blurton 
um, when it comes to local church life? I, th- I think it's caring for those who are suffering, mm-hmm. those who are neglected, um, those who are who are lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we get a bit of insight into it with uh, with Jesus in Matthew 25 as well, just talking about, um, again, following up on the principle we talked about last week, which is, um, you know, when we serve one another, mm-hmm. um, it's it's the service of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so when, when you see... Um, a neglected brother or sister, a lonely brother or sister, uh, someone standing in need without anyone to help them. You know, I think yeah. I think that's that's how it looks. Yeah, when you go and visit and help, according to Matthew twenty five thirty five to forty, Jesus counts it as you doing that for him. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So verse three says we should remember these people as if it was us in their very situation. Yeah, and you ca- you keep talking about compassion being your hurt and my heart. Yeah, so. Really, you want to step into that. We, we we shouldn't neglect or forget um, our brothers and sisters who are in need right now in our church. Out of sight, out of mind mentality. Um, we should instead learn sympathy, empathy, compassion, and as Roman says, weep with those who weep. Mm. So, yeah. yeah um, so, so if if I'm treating people how Jesus would, uh, how I would treat Jesus if he was in that situation, yeah, um, that's that's going to change things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, certainly, when someone is suffering in the church family. Um, whatever the suffering is, it can be mental health, it can be physical pain, it can be abandonment. Um, the call of this verse is to enter into that suffering with them, to be there for them, to comfort them, to draw alongside them, and uh, to, to support them. Bro, good stuff. Yeah, so we get on to verse four. Yeah. So, so marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And it almost sounds out of out of place, but this is given in the same context. So I think it fits in because what we're being called to do here is to honor each other's marriages. Um, terminal marriage issues usually stem out of discontentment. So, so marriage itself is holy. He says that here. It's an institution established by God himself. Uh, I'm unfaithful when I reject what God has given me as acceptable and satisfactory. Uh, but think about the implications of when I take another man's wife to bed. Not only have I declared that God's gift of a spouse is not enough, I'm plundering my brother's tents to rip away from him what God has given. And that works both ways, both male and female. But but imagine just for a moment, this taking place in the context of the church family. My lack of godly love and my discontentment of God's gift of a spouse leading me to abuse my brother or my sister through means of fornication and adultery. So yielding, yielding to the Spirit's work of love will withhold me from doing this. So then we get to verse five, this idea of being content and your conduct being without covetousness and just um, love of money, not being content, covetousness sees other people as opportunities and obstacles rather than as family to love and serve. Um, love of money and covetousness closes my heart and hands to doing the things in verse two to three. And what the gospel does is it frees us from covetousness as we come to experience Jesus's presence and love is more than enough to satisfy mm-hmm. us which is what the end of verse five says, you know, Jesus yeah. says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Yeah. So really we want to be free from covetousness, not just because it rips away our own heart, but because it it blocks that opportunity for us to bless our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in Christ. And yeah, that's good. Yeah. And then in chapter 13, verse 16, so we jump down there, it says, but do not forget to do good and to share. And that sounds so simple, doesn't it? That's mm-hmm. like elementary principles, but 
like we've said before, it's uh, you, you start with something simplistic, and after you go through the whole process, you come back to simple, which is mm-hmm. good. And uh, this is very simple. Do not forget to do good and to share. Yeah. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Yeah. Yeah. So me serving you, doing good, and sharing with you, God is pleased, and He counts that as a sacrifice offered up to Him. Mm-hmm. So once again, we're seeing that like God counts this stuff as serving him how do i serve god with reverence and godly fear by doing good and sharing with my brothers and sisters in the church family yeah that's good um dane ortland in his book deeper he, he he speaks of leaving in your wake the irresistible flavor of heaven um and giving people a taste of jesus himself mm-hmm. so when we're talking about doing good and and sharing you know and uh, we're, we're noticing what it says at the end of, of verse number 16 of, of, of chapter 13, of chapter 13, um, where it says we're with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Yeah. So as, as we serve one another and share with one another, God counts and accept this as a well-pleasing sacrifice offered up to him. And the, the whole point of the gospel community series, is about persuading us to see that one of the vital and major ways we serve God is not necessarily our devotional life, though it's part of it, not necessarily our prayer life or our, our gospel witness on the streets, but the big emphasis of this gospel community series that we're seeing over and over again in the epistles is that we serve God by serving one another. Yeah. And you might be wondering, why do we, why are we going about, why are we not talking about other things? Why do we keep talking about the gospel community stuff? And it's because it's missing. It's a missing part of the modern Western individualistic mm-hmm. church. And and yet it's so written in every epistle, and yeah. that's why we're calling them back. So. I, I would say I would say in first century Christianity, this was so prominent. Mm. But I would say in twenty first century Christianity, this is so omitted. Yeah, it's yeah. just like we we whether we purposely do it or whether it's just not convenient for our idea of what Christianity and church is supposed to look yeah. like. For yeah. some reason, we skip over it. Yeah, man, and the, the hymns we sing, the the books we read, the, even the sermons we preach. So much of it is involved with Jesus and me, Jesus and me, Jesus and me. But the New Testament is is Christ and us. Yeah. You know, and that's we just have to we have to call back to that. And we're really trying to do that at Burden, call back to this idea of what does it look like to live out these New Testament principles. Yeah. So So those are some of the principles of gospel community about how we treat one another. Um, but Hebrews 13 also has a little bit about how we treat pastors. And we're not belaboring this point because we're like, we want to be treated better, but we're just trying to teach gospel community stuff, right? You know, we, we are. We're, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> we're, we're setting ourselves up for Christmas. <laughs> we should have got the, what was it? Was it Timothy or Thessalonians that overwhelmed them? Overwhelmed? No, no, no. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. How do we treat our pastors? Chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who rule over you yeah. um, and follow their faith. Mm. Uh, some commentators believe these are the ones, who, remember those who ruled over you. And then some say it's present tense as well. But yeah. essentially, yeah. You're, you're, you know, you recognize who. It seems like in the context, it would be those present, doesn't it? Um, everything's dealing with kind of like the present community aspect of things. Mm. Mm. But yeah, um, so the, the role and responsibility of the pastor is to be an under guide. Um, again, because... Jesus is the guide. Yep. An under leader because Jesus is the leader. An under shepherd because Jesus is the shepherd. Yep. But still an under guide, an under leader, an under shepherd of God's people. Yeah. Which is a great stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. And so we as pastors, we submit ourselves to the teaching and commands of scripture. 
And then we teach and model that to our brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, so they've spoken the word of God to you, not our own words. We have faith. And then we're called to teach that word and to be models of the faith. Our brothers and sisters then are called to follow us mm-hmm. and imitate us in these things. Yeah, and that's that's why chapter 13, verse 17 goes on to say, Obey those who have rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as they who must give an account. Mm-hmm. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Right. Very unpopular words in verse 17 for the modern age. So, yep. Obey and submit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the role and responsibility of the pastor here is to keep watch over the souls of his brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. How does he do that? By teaching them, by exhorting them, by praying for them, and by being an example to them. Yeah. Um, and he's going to give an account to God about how he has done this. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, and it's, it's it's a big deal. And I may have said this before. I'm not sure. Sometimes I repeat myself. But, you know, about six months into being a pastor, like a, a pastor for the first time, this reality completely overwhelmed me. Yeah. And the fact that I'm going to stand before God and give an account mm-hmm. someday, you mm-hmm. know, almost made me want to leave the ministry in some ways. Because it was like, <laughs> holy, you know, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. So what we're called to do that. And our brothers and sisters are called to then obey and submit those who rule which again unpopular words but this idea of obeying and submitting is really just to entrust yourself Mm -hmm. to those who are called to lead and to be easily persuaded by their teaching so you're not listening like this is a little rubbish um, or you're gonna have to convince me you're like easily persuaded you're allowing yourself to be exhorted you're allowing yourself to be urged to obedience to Jesus that's essentially what it means um so yeah, as, as followers of Jesus, um, just be transformed um, and, and want to obey and submit to God yeah. and understanding that, that, that Christ has put faithful leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean, when I say faithful, I mean those who are faithful to the scriptures, yep. faithful leaders in place to lead your yeah. particular congregation. Yeah. So we, we're, we're equipped and called to help and direct our brothers and sisters through our words and through our life. But again, as we keep reiterating in these little passages, pastors only have the authority to persuade and urge their brothers and sisters to do what the scriptures persuade and urge. Mm-hmm. So we can't say, make me a cup of tea. We can't demand yeah. that you do certain things. Yeah. All we can do is exhort and challenge you and model for you what it looks like to live by scriptures. Man, I, I, I wish I wish in some ways it, it was like just a blanket authority thing because I would have had someone come and hang up my Christmas lights last week. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. But so, so, but, but again, we're, we're still, we're building from what was said earlier, right. familial love. Yep. So if this is a familial affection, a familial love, mm-hmm. then we're dealing with, with brothers and sisters specifically. Yeah. And, and what's beautiful about this verse is that as, I, I mean, and Blurton's so good at this, to be honest, but as they entrust themselves to us and are easily persuaded by our, by our tension, <clears throat> then our pastoring is actually joyful to us. And verse 17 says, which is of a great benefit to you, the people. So as, as Matt and I, as you and I do this joyfully um, with full hearts, uh, then they get the benefit of that. Yeah. But then it's on the flip side as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. As if, if we refuse to listen, if we refuse to be persuaded and urged and trust um, the leadership that Christ has put in place, mm-hmm. um, then the role of pastoring becomes a, a burden. Yep. It can be something kind of grievous to us. And the rest of the church family loses out too because there's no no longer that joy in service. Yeah, yeah, it's it's 
it's just our, and you, you know, there's people like that, and it's sad, it's sad to know um, that that's that's the reality in churches. But if you're a pastor, you're you're a worker for their joy, as we were reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're a, a congregant, you're called to do it in a way that causes your pastor to have joy. So I think if we apply the principle of giving and receiving gospel community to this, um, it works very well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking about how, how one of the greatest dangers of of gospel communities, people not being willing to receive help and mm. receive exhortation or this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but likewise, um, the pastor-church member relationship kind of works that way as well. There's giving and there's receiving yeah. the moment that neither one is done in the spirit of Christ and the spirit of love, yeah. uh, then it's a problem. Yeah, yeah. And again, big thanks to Burton for, for making us to make it out of the joy. Yeah, for this us. is yours. So, um, apart from Pete, because he's a nightmare. But yeah, he is a nightmare. Yeah. So we're at the final one. Verse 24 kind of talks about how we treat our pastors and just, again, one another. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. So we get back to this idea of greeting, don't we? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like, all right, get over like this little verse that keeps coming up in the end of the epistles. But I think it's, I think it's so important, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's powerful, isn't it? Because how a lot of times how we enter into one of those presents, I, I think we can apply the same principle to prayer. So a lot of times how we enter into the to prayer when we go to the Lord mm. determines kind of our general attitude in prayer. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when we enter into one another's presence, yeah. Um, yeah. it determines kind of like how we treat one another. It really sets the tone. You, when, you know, when, when you come home from, from work, when you, you know, yeah. when the kids come home from school and wife comes home, when you, when you meet each other in a cafe, like that, you set the tone really, don't you? By how you interact that first little few minutes. Yeah. And if you're, if you're greeting one another in this, you know, as we talked about before in the holy kiss way, then you're seeing that like that that love and that that kindness. So it's a basic command to greet each other, each person, but the idea of greeting means to welcome one another kindly mm. and with affection, mm. to receive one another with joy is mm. the idea here. So, mm. so receiving one another with with joy, not not begrudgingly like we oh we have to get together. Oh, not this person again. Yeah. Um, e- even if they're hard work. Yeah. Even if they're high, like high maintenance, <laughs> if it's someone that you're having to continually invest in yeah. or to, whatever the case, you know, you never enter into their presence as if they're a burden, you yeah. joyfully. Yeah. Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Yeah. So, so there we go. To love one another with affection, to show each other kind, joyful hospitality, to be there for each other in our suffering, to honor each other's marriages, to not see each other as obstacles and opportunities, to serve and to share with one another, to entrust ourselves and submit ourselves to our pastors and to joyfully, affectionately welcome one another. These are the things the author says it looks like to live as if we are heirs of the kingdom and citizens of Sion. This is what it looks like to serve God with acceptable and affectionate fear. And this is what it looks like to offer acceptable worship and pleasing sacrifices to him. That's good. And and I I love after after all of that, um, you know, again, we, we, we say it's not, it's not Jesus and me. I mean, it is, but it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if, if we don't start with with Jesus and me, then there is no Jesus in us. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. point of Jesus and me is to 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 come to Jesus and us, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, but but it kind of comes back full circle to this gospel truth thing. You know, yep. Um, none of this is possible to do in our own strength. Yep. yep. Uh, the Christian life isn't about outward behavior. It's about an internal reality changing our hearts and our lives and our relationships yeah which leads to our behavior but it doesn't start there yeah. that's the key isn't it yeah. yeah 
So yeah, verse 20 to 21, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will. Him working in you what is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. And to be glory forever and ever. Amen. God of peace. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So in, a, in our in our striving, um, in our efforts to create peace in our gospel community, the God of peace is empowering us. Yeah. He's the one who uh, has the power to raise the dead. So even in our deadness and our lack of desire to do this, God can empower us to do it. Yeah. He's the one who uh, brought us to himself through Jesus. Yeah. And so if he can, if he can do that, then surely yeah. he can empower us to do these <laughs> Yeah. So he's going to be the one completing this to, and he's going to be the one um, doing these good works through us, uh, bringing about his will for our lives. He's the one actively, continually working in me by the spirit, these things which are pleasing to him. And I'm just called to work it out then. Yeah. And then he sums everything up. Same uh, vein of thought here. Grace in verse 25. Grace be with you all. Amen. 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 Yeah. So there you go, friends. By, by the, by the work of God in you, serve Him with godly fear, which looks a lot like loving and serving one another. Thanks for listening to the Baldy Bishops podcast. If you wish to get a hold of us, you can contact us at bodybishops at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. Hey, do you want to go get an okay? That sounds great. Let's go. Let's go.